Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, fight fans? Another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio. Big show planned for you today. Joining us on the program, Mick Conlon stops by. He's got a big fight this Sunday at Madison Square Garden, a part of the St. Patrick's Day festivities. This will be the third fight in his career at uh, Madison Square Garden on St. Patrick's Day. Always excited uh, to talk to Mick Conlon. Also joining us on the show, Brian Campbell from CBS Sports. who will go over the business side of uh, boxing. Because right now it's all about the speculation, all about the Twitter wars. And Brian Campbell has you locked, especially with Triple G uh, to the zone. And finally, our last guest here, Michael Bent, former WBO heavyweight champion and the star of Losers on Netflix. We'll talk about his tumultuous life. Don't want to miss this interview. A lot to touch on today on Inside Boxing Live. Let's start it off with Mick Conlon. Our next interview on Inside Boxing Live is brought to you by Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar. Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located just a few steps away from Madison Square Garden and Times Square. Go into Jack Doyle's for all your entertainment needs. From happy hours to birthday parties to private events, Jack Doyle's has you covered. Once again, that's Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 240 West 35th Street. Our next guest here on Inside Boxing Live steps into the ring once again this Sunday at Madison Square Garden. He'll be fighting in front of his all of his Irish uh, fans on St. Patrick's Day for the third time in his career. Of course, I'm talking about the man, Mick Conlon, and he joins us right now on Inside Boxing Live. How's it going, Mick? Okay, my friend. I'm doing well over here in New York. Uh, it's very cold. Uh, you're going to be heading into New York for the third time in your career, and I, I can't believe... Uh, this is now, you know, three years since your debut when you stepped foot uh, in that ring in New York with, with Conor McGregor walking you in there and making that big debut. Can you believe it? time is really flying in, in your career? It really is. It's going fast. Um, you know, uh, it's it's been a steady progression, but now we're in the third year. Now we're in the year where things start to get serious. And, you know, I'm happy. It's It's been a, a fantastic first two years, and, and now I intend to make this one a big one. So now with this third trip to New York, I have to feel like maybe you've probably been here even more than that, but it has to feel like that you're getting yeah. your, your bearings when it comes to New York. You probably don't even have to look at your phone and, and check, you know, the navigation. I feel like you're like a you're like an honorary New Yorker, no? <laughs> That's what it is. New York definitely in terms of my pro boxing career, it's it's my home. It's my it's my home from home. Um well, I like to have most of my fights. This will be number fight number five, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm very 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 lucky. Sorry, this will be fight number six, I think. But I'm I'm very lucky, very grateful to be a part of you know such city and you know bring bring some of my own boxing history to Madison Square Garden, and, and you know it's it's something that I, I've I, I'm very very proud of. I, I I do feel like New York is 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 home for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you say it's your sixth fight in New York, but it's it's your third fight 
on St. Patrick's Day. Obviously, that has to mean you know a little more to you, and it means more to your fans. You know, being from Ireland and, and you know carrying that torch. There's been so many fighters in the past that have have fought on that day. Does this fight you know does it mean more to you when you fight on St. Patrick's Day? Obviously, it does. I know that. Yeah, 100% it does. Um, you know, I recently found out that my that my mother mother and father actually met on St. Patrick's Day too. So oh, that was geez. nice. A, bit of, a, little, a little, <laughs> bit of, little bit of insight to St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, it's it's being, being Irish, the box in St. Patrick's Day is, is a, in, in, in probably the greatest city in the world, you know, on... St. Patrick's Day, where there's so much Irish living, you know, uh, travel to New York is probably celebrates celebrates St. Patrick's Day better than anywhere else in the world. So the fact that I get to do it there in the garden, it's, it just makes it so much so much more special. And you know, I, every fight throughout the year is, is great, and I, I'm up for it. Yes, but there's no fight like a St. Patrick's Day fight for me. Yeah, I, I, I can sense that from you. Let's talk about your opponent, Ruben Garcia Hernandez. You know, went the distance with uh, Nonito Donaire. He's a step up in class for you, and I know that's the way you want it. Yeah, that's it. You know, when he's a tough Mexican, durable, um, you know, tricky also when he's in there. But I, I, I'm in just to, to go in and put on a great performance. And, you know, my first St. Patrick's Day, I got a third ring KO. Second was. Second Patrick Day was the second ring KO, and you know, hopefully I can go out there again, put on another good performance, get another KO, and that's that's my aim. I want to go out there and impress, put on a great show for the fans, and you know, get rid of Ruben Hernandez Garcia. But you know, if 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 the fight goes distance, it goes distance. I'll be prepared. I've had a great a great camp as, as usual, and that's that's the thing. I've, uh, everything has been flown in the right direction. I think that I'm improving all the time. Well, that can be a little bit better than what I was the day before when I stepped into the gym. Mm-hmm. I'm happy, and that's how that's how this campus went. Now, being overseas, uh, you were in LA for a while, and you decided to go back uh, to Ireland or, or you know Ireland slash London to be closer to your family. And I think everyone uh, can identify yeah. with that. But being overseas, do you feel like you know maybe you're you're overlooked a bit when it comes to some of the American fighters here in terms of, of publicity and, and how top rank moves along the fighters? Do you sense that? Yeah, listen, it is what it is. I, I understand it, and you know, I know I'm not around the scene in the states enough to be kind of pushing my own name bigger, like like I was when I was in LA. But you know, I, I understand it, and, and I understand the reason, the fact that I'm not there plays a part in it. But I do, I do, I do, I do agree with what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a decision that you made. You know, you could have stayed here in in, in the states and you know made the rounds on, on the media and kind of built up your name a little more here in the states. But I feel like a lot of fans can respect the fact that you know you wanted to be home. You know, you had another kid, and I feel like uh, that's a that's a trade off, no? Yeah, listen, it's it's definitely a trade off, but it's a trade off that actually will benefit me and my career. You know, a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter, and <laughs> where I'm happiest is here in in, in, in Ireland and. From my home, so you know it's 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 not far. We take into consideration that when I was living in LA, it was an eight hour time difference and an eleven hour flight journey. It's it's a little sacrifice what I have to make, and, and you know I'm sure 
when when everything needs to be done and and you know the publicity needs to come, it will come. So I'm, I'm happy enough. You know, I don't like to ask fighters, you know, to look past fights, but I've seen enough uh, interviews with you and, and questions your way about a summer fight, a, a big time showdown in Belfast. Will be your first fight in Belfast, and I know that you have a, a, yeah. an opponent even circled, uh, Vladimir Nikitin, who you fought. Uh, in the amateurs, how hard is it for you to to not overlook this fight on Sunday night, knowing that you have this big homecoming uh, in the summer against someone that you want to get revenge on? You know, listen, it, 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 that could be let it be, but I, I think I'm very grounded, and I know that you know I can't I can't look past anybody. I don't. I, it doesn't. I've done it in the past. I've done it in my amateur career, and I paid for it in the amateurs at times. Mm-hmm. But this time I, w- I won't look past I won't look past Garcia. But you know I know that fight is is pending and mm-hmm. and hopefully we do. But you know I've 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 got full focus on Sunday evening and 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 that concentration. Once we get this one out of the way, we can sort of think what's next and after that. But you know, I'm very concentrated, very focused on on what's ahead of me. Now this fight with nicotine and and uh, you know you go back to that 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 fight in the Olympics where I mean it did it you were on the map already but you know the double the double birds obviously it puts you even more out there flipping off the, the judges and everything went back and ran the stats you outlanded nicotine seventy one to twenty nine over those final two rounds how often do you think about that fight is that fight fuel for you towards in, into your professional career. You, you know, I don't think of it as often as much unless people bring it up. But it, it, it is. I have no. I have no feeling towards thing that that I'm, I'm straight up honest about. I have no bad, bad thoughts toward him. But all it is 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 a wrong which needs to be made right. And, and I want to do it as soon as possible. I want to get that one of the way. That was my last. My last kind of setback. In terms of uh, in the boxing circles, and um, you know, I did something I feel like I can fix mm-hmm. ASAP. And um, I will. I, I know. I know when in, in Vladimir face, I would not go past six rounds. Uh, out of there, but no, no, no bad feelings towards him. It's just business. I hear you, Mick Collin. He steps back into the ring. This Sunday, St. Patrick's Day, ESPN Plus. It's kind of like a, your pilgrimage back to New York. You do it every year. Uh, looking forward to watching you on Sunday night. Best of luck. And maybe this summer we get that big fight uh, in Belfast. Best of luck, Mick. And I appreciate you taking some time to come on the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Mick. See you soon. Joining us now on Inside Boxing Live, he is an award-winning now. This is his seventh time. On Inside Boxing Live, he gets a special CompuBox t-shirt, which is in the mail. Of course, I'm talking about the man from CBS Sports, State of Combat podcast. If there's a fight, he's covering it. He's the man, Brian Campbell, and he joins us now via Skype. It's great uh, to see your face, Brian. How are you? Oh, thank you so much. Great to be back on the show. Congratulations on such a beautiful studio. Uh, I think for seven appearances, I at least, at least deserve a Jack Doyle's gift certificate, correct? Uh, and let me talk to my guy Brendan over there. I can probably figure something out, get something for you. Maybe at least like a like a, a drink ticket. All right, I'll take it. I'll uh, take it. That'll work. That'll work, right? 
Love it. Love it. Let's do it. I almost feel like the, the seventh Kenobio brother at this point. This is great. Let's go. Let's talk some boxeo. Uh, let's talk about the most recent news over this weekend. Uh, not fights, because uh, boxing, we don't talk about fights anymore in boxing. It's all about rumors now. It's all about who's signing where, whose side of the street you're on. Triple G now is on the the uh, zone side of the street. We watched the press conference uh, this past week. Uh, your thoughts on, on Triple G going over there? You know, What's this the right move for him? Who does he fight next? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is a huge move for him. He's going to be 37 this year. We know that when you look at the, some of the things he got in addition to to the money, right? The opportunity to buy equity w- was reported by the top copywriter, Mike Coppinger, and also sources. You, 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 so, so, hashtag sources. You also see, of course, the guaranteed four dates over the next two years for his fledgling Triple G promotions. So he's setting himself up nicely for what's to come after his career. But what we care about is what comes in the next few years. Signs a six-fight deal. And one thing DAZN has done really well, and you got to give him credit, is they marketed and targeted this middleweight division and said, let's own everybody. I mean, they have everybody really but Jamal Charlo and maybe BJ Saunders if he goes over to ESPN. So what does that mean for Gennady? You're talking about trilogy with Canelo, big money rematch with Danny Jacobs. Rematch with David Lemieux that could be a stay busy. Jaime Munguia. I mean, oh, you I like go that down that line. Callum Smith at 168. A lot going on there. Demetrius Andrade. I don't want to forget him either. Smart move, man. This will allow him to age gracefully. This will allow him to be part of big fights. And I think even more than this being a great decision for Triple G. Wow. DeZone has had quite a month. Because the turn of the new calendar year had us going... Last six months, pretty fun with the zone, but what the heck's going on? I see nothing on the schedule. You can't live on just Canelo and AJ alone, but you got to give him credit here, man, Dan. Adding Triple G to this now, you got to see these guys. So yeah. whether you have the zone or not, you're going to find a way to put your 999 down, and that's good marketing. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. They have three of the biggest names in boxing right now. If you ask a casual fan, they would, you know, who are the top five fighters? You know, most of those fans are going to name, uh, you know, Canelo and Triple G off the top of the bat. You know, we had Anthony Joshua in there, like you said, Jaime Munguia, uh, you know, Saw Rungvisai, you got the World Boxing Super Series. So you're right, business is starting to pick up uh, for DAZN. But back to, to Triple G, and we obviously know that, you know, this Canelo fight – I would say it's about 75% slated for, for September, especially uh, if John Skipper gets his way. And it seems like he's doing a lot more of this work and, and calling for fights and, and dictating who Canelo fights as the you know the big cash cow uh, of, for, for DAZN. But who is Gennady Golovkin going to fight next? I feel like that's a question a lot of fans are, are trying to speculate on. Uh, who could be next for him? You know, it's not going to be a, a fighter that could you know potentially upset uh, him and, and, and stop that fight. Uh, with Canelo, who would you think next? Like, what type of fighter can we see in there uh, come June, if that's the time when, when the Triple G's back in the ring? Well, Dan, I think our knee-jerk reaction is to expect that it's a soft opponent because there's so many millions at stake for DAZN here and Triple G. If he if he could head into the fall in the exact position he is now, like we mentioned, either the Canelo Trilogy or let's not forget our boy Danny Jacobs from Brooklyn, if he, if he pulls this upset, which wouldn't be a... I don't even want to call it an upset. It's a 50-50 fight. If he beats Canelo... You know a Danny Jacobs Triple G rematch is, is really big business just the same. But to answer your question, Triple G, if there's one thing that came out of that press conference on Monday and really not – there wasn't much that did come out of it. Triple G, not the most talkative or, or quotable guy. We love what he does in the ring though. But he said he doesn't want it to be a soft touch. His motive, his MO is always to face the best opponent available. Yeah, he had to have some of those stay busy Dominic Wade 
and Marco Antonio Rubio type fights. A lot of those were mandatories because he was a belt collector back then. Yeah. So why don't I just throw this name at you? Why not a David Lemieux rematch? It's sexy enough to bring eyeballs. You're always going to be able to sell that Lemieux is never out of a fight because of his power. But even with David Lemieux's improvement, if you will, from that one-sided loss to Billy Joe Saunders, he's still one-dimensional. A 36-and-a-half-year-old Triple G with a jab alone probably still controls him. Oh, my God. But yeah. it's four years since their first fight. Triple G a little bit slower, a little bit older. Lemieux a little bit hungrier. Fun-ass fight. Yeah, Triple G probably going to win. But that's a sexy start for the Triple G to zone era. Hey, I can, yeah. they can hire me. If they need you know consulting, uh, marketing help, uh, booking, matchmaking, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, Campbell, you're definitely for hire. I like that. So am I. The uh, zone, if you're listening, hire both of us. You can see the chemistry is here. But you bring up the fact that that uh, you know Lemieux is hungry for 160. He's also very hungry in life. He could barely make uh, 160. He only, you know he had those issues where that fight got called off on the December card. Could he even make 160? Is my first question. Secondly, uh, you know I was ringside for that fight as you were too for the first Golovkin fight. Golovkin, I've never seen someone systematically just control someone and dominates on with a jab alone. I just remember those long flowing locks of Lemieux just f whipping up and down like Malinaji when he had the, the, the dreadlocks. Just whipping, whipping. I don't think that would be that competitive of a fight, but do you think Lemieux can also make the weight? I think he could. Uh, like When you hear Lemieux's quotes in the aftermath of missing weight, it sounded like he had a handle on it. He knew, let's guess and say what he didn't do right to get to that point. It didn't sound to me as much, and maybe I'm wrong, that this was more of his body outgrowing it. I mean, he's advanced into his career right now. I don't think it's one of those things where somebody younger rising up in the ranks. I think for a fight that's this important, and to be honest, was that last fight that he missed weight for all that important? I know it was going to be underneath Canelo, but he's sort of been waiting in the bullpen to be Canelo's next possible opponent for a couple of years now, and it hasn't happened. So for him... He's got to make this weight, and it's it's a fun fight. And I think Lemieux has had the right quotes about it the past year. He said this, look, Triple G beat me in his prime, but now it's my prime. And I don't mean his smashing prime because that's been going on for 15 we'll years. Never he's, a, that. he's a beautiful man, let's be honest there. Yeah. But in terms of his boxing prime, he thinks he's entering it right now. You can sell this, Dan. You know it. You can do a lot worse than David Lemieux and Triple G. Well, I know that Golden Boys, I mean, they're really high on Lemieux. And, you know, I talked to Hopkins, and, and this was before he, he missed the weight, and he was pushing for Canelo Lemieux. So, yeah, you know, someone of that ilk. I, do, I don't believe it's going to be a, a Vinus Motorosen type again. I do feel like it's going to be a, a, you know, a fringe but, contender or a former title holder because that's just like the M.O. Uh, let for, me ask you this, Dan. Yeah. I'm, let me interrupt you on your own show <laughs> and Please throw do. this offer out there. On Saturday in Philadelphia at the ECW Arena, if you will, I know, I know you did. I know you would. You would. Uh, we're gonna see Gabe Rosado on the undercard against Macha Sulechki. Good fight. If if I got that right, so a good fight. B Gabe has wanted that Triple G rematch forever because before his face fell apart, he was having more success, of course, against Prime Golovkin than anyone else really did in that first original two-year run. So I'm just saying, quick turnaround for the winner there, also not out of the question. Yeah, uh, you know, Rosado's game, I mean, he's, he looks the fight, uh, looks the part of, of the fighter. Another fight I was at uh, ringside for that one as well, and I know that Golovkin had the flu, which is scary to think of, and he just, I remember just a bloodied face. Of oh, Rosado. white There's, gloves. There were white certainly, gloves. yeah, the white, and the white shorts of Golovkin's were pink by the end of the fight. Yes, there is... 
a lot of uh, opponents out there. There are some some names in there that Eddie Hearn's going to push, and I think that Rosado's that name he's going to push because he was talking about Rosado potentially facing uh, Andrade. So th- there's definitely going to be some names uh, for Golovkin to fight. On to the next rumor mill here. Team Wilder. All, uh, you know, with Shelly Finkel, Lou DiBella, uh, Al Heyman, uh, probably missing some. They're going to strut into the zone offices and talk with John Skipper and try to see if Wilder can get on board. Have you heard anything more about this? I know that Skipper yesterday at the presser, uh, on Monday I should say, was very coy about uh, Deontay Wilder potentially uh, having this meeting. Have you heard anything and do you potentially see a fit with uh, Wilder and the zone? Uh, I can go as far as confirming that that there will be a meeting. I haven't heard much more. And I think the real interesting part, and we're all really leaning on Mike Hoppinger's original report, hashtag sources, sources here, was that Lou DiBello was the one that set it up. Maybe it seems from Coppinger's reporting, independent from Heyman and Finkel. Look, this whole situation is going to be really, really interesting. We know Danny Jacobs was an Al Heyman fighter who quote-unquote got away. He didn't get away. Al's still his manager, still represents him. They're doing just fine. But Jacobs put his own foot forward for the future of his career by signing with Eddie Hearn for a short season signing with HBO, and now he's with the zone. If somebody like Deontay Wilder steps up and says, look, I love you, Al. I love what you're doing at Showtime and Fox. There's just not the quote-unquote generational wealth that I'm looking right. for under this banner right now. So if this becomes true, and let's not – look, look, it's interesting here, Dan. This is unlike what we've seen in a long time. We got some big players with big wallets, right? ESPN top-ranked Grandpa Bob throwing a lot of money around. But this Ukrainian oligarch, I don't know where this war chest ends. And that's the scary part. So if you have the opportunity to offer Wilder $20 million per fight and a guarantee at AJ, I'm sorry, that's better than Boobs Brazil and Adam Konachki. It's just better. So this is really going to test. I think the real key to this story, however, whatever layers of it is true or we're speculating – is Uncle Al, Al Heyman, is really going to have to show us what he has. And I don't necessarily mean what he's got left over from that Waddell and Reed money. I mean more like, what does he have left up his sleeve to keep his fighters happy? Because if Wilder makes that leap, why wouldn't a Jamal Charlo exactly. at middleweight do the same? Why wouldn't, let's just use Sean Porter as an example. Let's say the rest of 2019 plays out where Thurman gets Pacquiao, Errol Spence gets Danny Garcia. I mean, if you're Sean Porter, maybe you could be the odd man out. Why wouldn't you want to go over and fight Terrence Crawford on ESPN pay-per-view? We already know that Top Rank had made a move, a $3 million offer earlier this year, rumored, sourced. I'm just saying, Wilder, watch this story closely because, Dan, you know, if he goes, it could open the floodgates. And that's great for fans, certainly not great for Fox and Showtime and PBC. We'll have to see how that would all play out. More with Brian Campbell next. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting time for Al Heyman. It's really interesting time for Al Heyman because it's it's a lot of his fighters are have done great. You know, his fighters have done great under his his watch when it comes to fighting on Showtime. You know, fighting on Fox. Back to Wilder. How does Wilder not leave that meeting without a deal? Like he's going to go in there and they're going to say, "Listen, we're going to offer you, you know, tons of money. We're going to offer you an AJ, maybe three fights uh, with Anthony Joshua." How does he not leave that that meeting w- with a deal? Uh, look, uh, the top rank deal was reportedly somewhere around $12 million per fight. You read the rumors that the DAZN deal could be $20 million per overpay. fight. Look, if this just leads to him getting the most possible money he could from PBC, that's possible. That's obviously not bad for him. But I think there needs to be something extra and there needs to be a promise from the PBC side that there could be 
a Fox or Showtime co-pay-per-view with Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua because there are a couple of kickers in this whole situation. That's why I think as boxing fans and journalists, we are sort of wired to expect the worst. But I don't think this is as, as cut black and white as we think sometimes. Yes, AJ, Anthony Joshua is a DAZN fighter. Yes, more than likely than not, he's going to fight on DAZN because it makes financial sense. But he's not specifically exclusive to them. So right. I think if you're Deontay Wilder, you got to get a promise from Al Heyman that you may have to fight these other guys first. But we guarantee you, nine, 12 months from now, we'll we'll put everything on the table and do whatever we have to do to do a co-promotional deal, a co-network deal, a co-pay-per-view deal, whatever, to get you that Joshua fight. Where does this leave Showtime now? I mean, this is like the the it's a puzzle now. You're putting it all together. Al Heyman's fighters are starting to see that, you know, they're trying to take their careers into their own hands, you know, whether it's Deontay Wilder, whether it's Jamal Charlo, whether it's Javante Davis potentially leaving to fight uh, Tevin Farmer on the zone. Al Heyman's in a very tough spot because he has to, you know, make good to Fox. He has to make good to Showtime. Showtime, it seems like at this very moment, is getting the the, the, the smaller end of the stick here, uh, sort of say, is what's what can we expect from Showtime now? Because... It seems like everything is trending away towards Showtime, whether it's Fox, The Zone, ESPN. I mean, full disclosure, Dan, as you know, I, I cash checks on the side from Showtime and Fox. Yeah, so I, I'm in it for their strength. Believe me, I want things to go well there for them and me. I also want things to go well for the boxing fans. So you hope, like, let's say, the late 90s in pro wrestling, that competition jacks things up and gives everybody big opportunities. We saw that in boxing. Let's not forget, 2013, Floyd jumped from HBO to Showtime, brought all the, what became the PBC, Al Heyman, Golden Boy fighters with him. What we saw was both networks going for it and putting out the great fights. So I hope this leads to Al Heyman saying, look, I know you want to jump across the street for more money. I know I was slow playing whatever it is, the big fight for you. Like if you're talking to a, a Errol Spence, I know we're slow playing you to finally get a, a Keith Thurman fight. The slow play's over. There's competition out there. Let's do that fight next. I hope that's where this goes because the fighters seem to have more leverage right now from what we seem to know about the relationship between Al Heyman and the PBC fighters. They don't have specific promotional deals. I think maybe the Floyd Mayweather promoted fighters do like a Badu Jack. Right. The other guys seem to be promoter by committee. Mm -hmm. So that should see, seem to give them more leverage. So I'm hoping if you're Fox and your Showtime Fox had a nice little start here with this early uh, announcement of fights. Showtime seemed to take a step back. I hope they've got some big fights ready to be announced for the spring, summer, and fall. Because, look, there's no shortage of fighters there. Whether you're talking about featherweight, welterweight, junior middleweight, I mean, those three divisions in particular, there's some heavyweight matchups to make. They've got a very sexy offering. I hope we speed up seeing these guys face each other because the market may dictate it. And that's great for fans. It's great for my wallet. Great for the networks, Dan. It's great for you, too. Don't let anybody tell you differently. No, you're absolutely right. We want to see the health of the sport. I mean, uh, I, I'm not, I don't subscribe to this, you know, I root for this legion or I'm with this promoter or, you know, I, I, don't want, I want to see Showtime fail because of this reason or I want to see his own fail. And that's just ridiculous. So I, I do expect Showtime to bounce back. They've showed us that, a commitment uh, to the sport uh, by investing a lot. And there are some matchups that can be made uh, for the second half on, on Showtime, I'm thinking of, of uh, Jared Hurd. I'm thinking of Javante Davis fighting on there. You know, Deontay Wilder you could see on, on Showtime, Manny Pacquiao. You're like, you're right. Endless Gary Russell, of, Leo. Gary, but we yeah, need those fights endless. now. That's don't underestimate key. Showtime and don't underestimate, uh, you know, Al Heyman and his uh, capabilities. Uh, what about now, we're talking about these rumors and everything. The, this new generation of journalism, and I wouldn't say it's new because it happens in every other sport, is the sources. We can joke around about, you know, Mike Covager and the work that he does and some of these other, uh, you know, 
reporters uh, in the sport. What do you make of uh, of this of taking like the Adam Schefter type reporting with sources and, and uh, uh, you know Woj bombs, bringing them over uh, to boxing now? Because I feel like it's ruffling a lot of feathers, but I don't understand why. Yeah, I mean it's not that different from the norm. I think if anything, you're seeing more aggressive younger players like a Mike Coppinger on the scene right now who are going after it. And sometimes going after it means putting out a rumor that isn't fully developed or may change over time. And that may ruffle people the wrong way, but it's certainly exciting to watch from a distance. I'm obviously a a beat journalist who covers the beat, maybe not as much minute by minute on trying to uncover sources, but I certainly react to all the same uh, news, Woj bomb type boxing moves we're seeing. And it's interesting. Uh, You know, there's certainly a market if that's your angle to go after that. Sometimes you want to see things reported when they are a little bit more meatier and juicier. I'm wondering if some people, uh, you know, some of the the sides don't like when some of it leaks out that could hurt their hurt their leverage. But it's part of the game. You see that in the NBA. It seems like you see that in the NFL. It seems like these connected guys know more than everybody. So you just got to tighten up your own family, so to speak, to make sure these things don't get out. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it's just raising the profile for for that product that they're talking about. It's raising, you know, they get, they get a ton of retweets, eyeballs. It's the greatest thing about the NBA, uh, besides the games, is, you know, the free agency or who's not getting along with who and who wants out. And I, I think there's a, definitely a place for it uh, in boxing. But Well, final, there's not just a place yeah. for it, Dan. It It's really 50% of the sport because these guys only fight twice a year. That's what I'm what saying. What else do we have to do? Right. That's why, you know, when on my podcast we talk about absurd things. That's the sport. <laughs> Boxing Twitter yeah. is half of boxing. It exactly. Is. There's like you're right. You see, they talk about in baseball how you can go to a game and you only see Mike Trout three times. Uh, you know, gets up to the plate maybe three or four times, makes one play in the field. Boxing, you don't see. You maybe look at Gennady Golovkin. You're only going to see him twice uh, for the next three years. Or Canelo, they only fight twice. Or Mayweather, you only fight twice. So yeah, you're right. The other 363 days are have to be filled some way. Uh, and you guys do a great job on the state of uh, combat with my boy Rafe. Uh, finally. Though before we let you go, we gotta let you uh, talk about the biggest fight on the calendar so far. Uh, it's Mikey Garcia, Errol Spence at Jerry World this weekend. Who is your pick and why? I'll put it in my veins, Dan. Wow, I cannot wait for this. Look, this is in my wheelhouse, right? Two unbeaten's, two top five pound for pounds, and you have the daring to be great element of the size of Mikey Garcia's huevos. Wow. Career-defining fight here. It's also, finally, we get Errol Spence in a big fight for the first time since Kell Brook. Who do I like? I mean, I've, I've done the X's and O's. I've gone the distance here. I was, you know, blessed enough to, to host the PBC face-to-face. I really got a chance up close and personal to see where they're at mentally leading up to this. You have to believe Mikey knows something. That's why a, a guy that calculated is taking this big of a gamble. That does lead me to believe he's going to be in this fight. He's going to have an opportunity to go the distance in this fight and have a chance on the scorecards, right? He's going to have that opportunity, but it's really going to come down. We know his craft is elite. I'm not afraid of him jumping to 147 for his craft. I'm really not that afraid of him jumping size-wise. I'm afraid chin-wise, though, because Errol Spence is not a regular puncher. You go back, you watch that PBC Countdown show, which did a great job of really showing you fight by fight Spence's rise to this point. He just has super elite power and a system to get it to you that even if Mikey has great defense, even if he fights the fight of his life and times his counter shots, there will come a point where the punches will land and many an Errol Spence opponent, including let's say Lamont Peterson, once those punches landed and you've been knocked down, you change, you change your strategy. It becomes more about survival than trying to win. I've got to pick Errol Spence because 
if I believe that Errol Spence is that great and I've had him right around number three or four or five pound for pound for a while before a lot of people wanted me to have him there, I have to believe he can win a fight like this. Credit Mikey for making it happen. I think Mikey's going to put forth the kind of performance, even if he gets stopped, that will elevate him, that we'll find out exactly how great he is, which, by the way, is the reason why he's taking this fight. And you got to respect that because that's old school. That's Sugar Ray Leonard. That's Tommy Hearns. That's everything we love about this sport. But when it's all said and done, I like Spence. And as much as I want to see Mikey go the distance and have a chance on those scorecards, I don't think he gets there, Dan. That's a long-winded way to tell you. Spence by 10th round stoppage. I love Mikey's heart. I love his balls. But, man, Errol Spence is the real deal, the truth. Tell your friends. It's happening. Yeah, that was a roller coaster because I thought you were going to go Mikey Garcia at the beginning, and you're talking about uh, I've seen a lot of this from Sugary Land and, and other guys. You know, he's a, he comes from a fighting family. He's going to win. I was like, uh, I don't think that will, he'll take that into the ring. He's, you know, Spence is the bigger guy. He's the welterweight. He's, he's, he is what he is for a reason. I agree with you there. I like Spence. Uh, late uh, stoppage at Jerry World. Mr. Brian Campbell, you can catch him on the State of Combat podcast. You can catch him on TV. It's nice to turn on my television and see your face hosting these face, face-offs. It's great stuff. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I, I love the work I'm getting to do. It's uh, it's paying for my son's travel soccer. Get ready, Dan. You know, you're going to be popping out these kids. You'll be paying for braces. Get out of here with this. Thank you very much for helping me forward this. Uh, Brian Campbell, uh, well, I look forward to having you on for the eighth time. He's the undisputed champion of guest here on Inside Boxing Life. Thanks for the time. Thank you. We've been very fortunate here at Inside Boxing Live to have some of the biggest names in the sport, in the world of boxing and entertainment. But i got to tell you right now, I am super excited. This might be one of the most excited I've been uh, to have a guest on here. Uh, if you're a hardcore boxing fan, you know this next guest as a former WBO heavyweight champion. If you're a subscriber uh, to Netflix, so that pretty much means everyone in the world, you know him as the star of the first episode of the critically acclaimed series Losers on Netflix, of course. I'm talking about the one and only Michael Bent, and he joins us right now on Inside Boxing Live. Michael, how you doing, man? I appreciate you taking some time. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, guys. Now, uh, Mike, I, I watched the this, this documentary uh, three times, uh, once or more last night before I knew you were, you were coming on. Just an absolutely great story. You know, kind of sums up what, what boxing is all about, at least to me. You know, it's getting up off the canvas, you know, fighting back, overcoming it. It had everything to me. I feel like it was like a Hollywood script. Right. But what I want to talk to you about is like that documentary was a, was like a, a, a truncated look at, at your life. Yes, it was 25 minutes. It could have went so much longer. But I felt like it summed up your life. But you know, in that ring and outside that ring, how about life after the documentary? What's life been like for you since March 1st? Oh, it's been bananas <laughs> uh, in a good way. You know, the, you know, the most important thing for me, uh, Dan, was like uh, I think. Overall, now that I reflect on it, I think that uh, that documentary, what I said, was a, uh, a love letter to my guys who, you know, my contemporaries, who can't say what I can say. You know, that's also a love letter to, like, you know, people throughout the world who are suffering what I suffered. Hello? Yeah, can you, I can keep going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're saying it was, a, it was a love letter. Yeah, I mean, I got chills right now just thinking about it. And, you know, the fact that you hooked up with Hollywood, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. And, you know, the story was just amazing. But I want to fast forward to a few things that I took uh, from this documentary. I want to go right to that first professional fight. If you can talk to me about the feeling in that locker room before the first fight versus the feeling on your ring walk against Tommy Morrison. 
Well, I tell people um, who bring it up that uh, I don't beat Tommy Morrison if I don't lose to Jerry Jones in my first pro fight. Well, how is that possibly, say, Mike? Well, because Jerry Jones uh, snapped me in the first uh, first round, humiliation, purgatory, the whole nine yards, man. And I had to dig deep and search myself. And it's like <laughs> Jerry actually gave me uh, gave me a gift, you know. Uh, when I was training with uh, Evander, I was, you know, I was a spa partner mm-hmm. in Houston, and uh, I saw Jerry Jones. We had an off day, and I saw Jerry Jones in a bookstore, a Walden bookstore in Houston. And uh, he comes up to me. You know, I, I was getting him ice because who wants <laughs> to be confronted by the person who knocks him out? Right. No one does. And I was like, you know, I was, I was being an asshole to Jerry. You know what I mean? But he was sweet about it, man. He was like, you know, he came up to me and said, "Hey, second side brother." No, he called me Youngblood. <laughs> he said, said, hey, Youngblood, check this out, man. In our fight with, um, when we fought, the only reason why I won was because I got you before you got me. Wow. Don't give me no attitude, brother. <laughs> you know, just like, you know, I'm a, you know, you come from the same place. That's wild. And so you dude, saw him at a bookstore? Yes. I got chills. I'm getting chills right now. And you guys were ice yeah. grilling each other in a bookstore? Say again? You guys were ice grilling each other in a bookstore. Yes. That exactly. is wild. Yes, yes, yes. Yep, exactly. And once again, he was there for like maybe like seven or eight days uh, after I arrived there. And when I heard he was coming, my my heart sunk. Because once again, who wants to be confronted by the guy who knocked him out? I right. didn't. I was prepared for it. But he gave me a gift. You know, he said to me like, you know, I only got you before you got me. And that that was like a love letter to me, man. Wow. Like, Whoa. And, you know, I took that that whole conversation, that whole you know moment with Jerry into the ring with me when I fought Tommy, because you never know. I didn't know like I was going to win. Right. I hoped I would, but you never know. Well, yeah, I think what I wanted to, to, to when I was trying to get out of that question was when you you know it was clear if you watch the documentary that you never wanted to be a professional fighter. You never really wanted to box, no. but when you're walking out no. to that ring, was there any thoughts like did you think you were going to win? You know, when that first fight, or you walk out there thinking, you know what, you know, I might, I might drop, I might have my first loss as a pro tonight. Dan, at some point, yeah, you every wanna, time I fought, yeah. whether, whether I was an amateur or pro, I would always pray and hope that <laughs> that city would be struck by a like, you know, yeah. a massive blackout. Yeah, so I wouldn't have to step in the ring. Wow. No, dude, like I'm a coward, man. Who was like, I'm a coward who was talented. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Like, you know, the person you see walking out of the ring uh, prior to the Morrison fight, he's wearing a mask. Yes. He's wearing a mask right. of confidence. Right. That's real. What? I can say that now. Yeah. You know, I couldn't say that, like, you know, when I was fighting. What made you want to get back in there? Was it the fact that, you know, you lost that first fight? You know, there were so many, like, so many symbolisms in your life. So many things like mm. these, like, gifts that you know didn't seem like gifts at the time, but ended up being gifts the, when you look back on it. Losing that fight, your first professional fight, you know, going to yeah. the depths that you went, you know, with with everything that yeah. all those demons that you deal you dealt with and in and all that that was you know highlighted uh, in the Netflix uh, documentary. What was it? The call from Holyfield, but I know it was just more than that. There had to be something inside no, you. No, no, it was more than that because uh, after I lost to Jerry Jones, I took uh, twenty four months off, twenty two months off. Uh, I remember the. I remember the day that I left Emmanuel's um, home in Detroit where I was living. Wow. I said, Emmanuel, I'm going to see my mom for Easter, and I'm coming right back. 
and never came back. Because huh. I was in, I was humiliated, right? And I got a job at a hospital in New York, uh, Long Island George Hospital. And like, you know, I love the people, I love the experiences, but like, you know, I knew I knew that I didn't belong there, you know. So I got this call from um, a dear friend of mine, Paul Fukularo. He was like a boxing uh, manager. He sponsored me at some point in my amateur career. He said, Mike, um, Mickey Duff is over here in the States. He's in Tampa, Florida. Now he's in Clearwater, Florida. And he has number five heavyweight contender, uh, Gary Mason. And wow. he's prepping for a fight. And he will use you as a sparring partner. I blew him off. <laughs> like, maybe like a month, right? Then he finally called me. And I said, you know what, man? I don't like work. Well, like, you know, I enjoy the people in the hospital. But like, you know, I'm not a hospital worker. No. So uh, I took a plane down to uh, um, Tampa, Florida. Was staying at the hotel um, in Clearwater, and to my surprise, uh, I'm not disparaging uh, Gary Mason, who's dead now. But like you know, to my surprise, I mean, Gary couldn't do anything with me. I mean, he was bigger than me, but like talent-wise, yeah. I was having shoulders like you know above him. Wow. And at one at one at one time, we're at breakfast, and I said like, Gary, Gary, let me ask you a question, man. I'm like, uh, when I'm sparring with you, are you taking it easy on me? <laughs> and he starts laughing. I said, okay, okay, great, great, okay, I got it. And wow. that, that that confidence was augmented by uh, my relationship with Georgie Benton. That's when wild. I was uh, hired to, uh, yeah, when I was hired to uh, be Evander's spawn partner for his uh, first defense against, uh, I think it was Oliver McCall or, uh, no, not Oliver McCall, his first his first defense, uh, I think, no, he was fighting Larry Holmes. Okay. I was recruited by uh, main events to be a small partner for uh, Evander when he fought Larry Holmes. Wow. You know, and uh, Georgie Benton once said to me, we had an off day, and I was like, you know, I was at the bookstore, blah, blah, blah. I come back into the hotel, and Georgie's having a, you know, he's at the bar drinking scotch, right? <laughs> and he waves over, and he waves over to me, right? And he says to me, uh, God damn, baby face. When you spar with Evander, I can't tell who the champion is. Right. And I said, okay. You're back. Now, now, now Dan, let me tell you something, bro. To me, Georgie Benton is, is had one of the most prolific minds in boxing. He was a master craftsman. He was a master instructor. Mm -hmm. When that kind of, um, um, when that level of intellect puts their stamp on you, mm -hmm. you have something to prove. You have yeah. something to live up to. That's wild. And, I do. I did not want to disappoint. Uh, I did not want to disappoint Georgie Benton. Right, and you you had like and a I second lease. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say you had like a second lease. Like, I mean, this is like someone that believed in you. You had so many people, that, you know, that didn't exactly. believe in you when after you lost your first that's fight. Right. That's that's great. That's another it, little side story of your life, man. Your life's oh a boy. movie. Your life oh, is a movie. Yo, yo, dude, I am so lucky. You? I mean, like you know, I think like you know that the uh, the dark periods that the dark periods that. I went through my father and like, you know, yeah. blah, 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 and, and doubt and insecurity. It's, it's all, you know, it's all part of the package. Yeah, it's all, it's all baked it's in all the cake. The baked in the cake. Yeah. Have, let's go to this Morrison fight. And we actually went into our database and we found the punch stats. 24 mm -hmm. of 36 power shots. You took out Tommy Morrison. Yeah. I watched the fight last night on YouTube. I was only five years old when you won that title, so I wasn't uh, there. Yeah. My my father was there, and I have a you very. Five? I was five years five? old when you when you took out Tommy Morrison. 
<laughs> I probably remember my dad leaving to go to Oklahoma to, because my dad was at the fight, and I have a very good story for you in a second. But 24 of 36 right. power shots, you took out Tommy Morrison with that devastating right hand. Did you feel like lightning no. go through your body when that happened? And afterwards, I mean, no, the, no, the emotions. No, no. You, know, you know, when fighters don't experience it, well, I didn't experience that. When I was, when I was focused on my trainer, and Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, yep. was one of the yeah. best trainers, like, you know, in this century, well, in this, like, you know, era, yeah, by far. boxing instructor, mm-hmm. he would say to me, Michael, and no one ever said this to me, he would say, Mike, at some point, Tommy's going to hurt you. He did. Remember to relax when you get hurt, because we get hurt, and we are, like, you know, there's two kinds of getting hurt. There's, there's a hurt where you're buzzed, mm-hmm. and there's a hurt where you're just completely out of it. Right. And when you don't respect the other man's punching power, like I did in my first punch, I was out of it. Right. Tommy didn't, didn't respect my punching power. And that was his downfall. Mm-hmm. But, but you know something weird about Dan? Yeah. From time to time, like, I'll go back and watch the fight. Yeah. And the look on Tommy's face, I feel <laughs> sorry for him. Yeah. No, 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 I do. I feel sorry for him, man. Oh, you do? Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, how can I not, like, you know, have a, a sense of empathy for him? Because I experienced what he experienced, like, you know, but he's experienced that on a larger stage right. in his hometown, you know, prior to a fight with Lennox Lewis. Right, that's... You know, that's so right. I empathize with him. That's the story I want to tell you. So my father was in the arena that night working for CompuBox when you beat Tommy Morrison. He had to get to another fight, <laughs> and uh, he was uh, friends with Todd DeBuff and, and Bob Arum. So Bob Arum offered mm-hmm. offered a seat on his private jet for my dad yeah. to fly to his next uh, fight. So they're on the on yeah. the plane, and uh, there was another mm-hmm. gentleman on the plane, a friend of of Bob Arum, and he got like he got mm-hmm. sick or something. He and he went to go use the bathroom on this private jet, but the private jet mm-hmm. didn't have like a bathroom door. It only had like a like a sh- <laughs> it had like a shower curtain. So the guy is on the toilet bowl doing his business, and his his head is right. like over the over the the curtain. And uh, he's yeah, just right. going to town right. in there. He's just, you know, it's a small jet. You imagine the stink that's going right. on in there. And, you know, so someone yells out, you're going to run out of toilet paper. And Bob Aaron goes, here, right. here, here, here's the, the contract for Tommy Morrison's uh, next fight. You can wipe your ass with this because it's useless. No. And that was it. That was because you upended Dude, Tommy Morrison's uh, uh, the, the, the plans for him. I'm going to steal that one. I'm going to use that, man. That's great. Put that, <laughs> in, the, put, that. put that in the movie because your, your life is a movie, and I want to talk about that. The fact that you yeah. know, so many things are happening for you. You're a creative type. You know, you you're, you directed uh, that play that I wish I uh, could have been uh, in attendance for. Uh, you've appeared yeah. in movies uh, w- alongside uh, Will Smith in, in Ali, which was you played perfectly the, the role of Sonny Liston. And, of course, all the yeah. work you've done with Clint Eastwood and Michael Mann, Ron Shell, go up and down the line. It's pretty clear that you're right. a creative type and you enjoy uh, the actor life and, and being in that. You know, could we see more out of you? Like, what well, can we see a movie one day? Because I really do think that there's something here. Right, right. Well, like, you know, a lot of people have been saying that, uh, uh, you know, after this uh, post, the uh, Netflix thing, like, and I'm open to, like, you know, to uh, having a discussion, you yeah. know. Uh, all, you know, but, like, you know, <laughs> if this thing does come about, uh, we'll have to, like, you know, have a contract that Michael Ben writes a screenplay. <laughs> you have to. As a writer. Yeah, yeah you are. You're yeah, a writer. You know, That's what you said, right? You like yeah. to, you like being in L.A. and being around th- those writers. Who plays Michael Bent? I say Idris Alba. 
you know, wow, you know what? Oh, no, stop, dude. You say so, man. I have a dear friend, his name is Percy Carey. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the most um, prolific underground hip-hop artists, like, you know, nice. in the universe. We had a discussion the other day, and he said, Mike, <laughs> based on this Netflix thing, dude, uh, if a film gets, like, you know, in the works, blah, 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 it just should play you. Just, I'm like, dude, that's that's, that's Dude, you were. I was watching it last night with my roommate, who knows she knows nothing about boxing. She knows, and she goes, wait Correct. a second. She goes, that that's Idris Elba. I was like, no, no, that's Michael Bent. She's like, no, 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 that's that's Idris Elba. So that's your doppelganger, man. That's the world's sexiest man. That's that's good stuff. Michael Bent. What a story. I want to talk to you more. We're gonna have you on again soon. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, my friend. That's a wrap for another edition of Inside Boxing Live. Got to thank our guests, Mick Conlon, Brian Campbell, and the great Michael Bent. It could have went a lot longer with Michael Bent, but I have to get him on uh, once again. But keep it locked to our social media and our YouTube this week as I'm heading down to Dallas this weekend to cover Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence. My official pick, Errol Spence, TKO10. You heard it here first. This has been another edition of Inside Boxing Live.